Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Cameron. I'm one of the board of advisors here at Fusion City Church and a facilitator of the Connect Groups. We're so glad you joined us this morning. Um, I'm not Brian. Uh, I get the privilege to uh, give you uh, the last message of Exiles. If you haven't been with us, it's been a series in First Peter. Uh, week one, we talked about uh, suffering for Christ and, and how that suffering can bring us closer to Christ. Week two, Brian did a, a Facebook Live video about uh, being holy because God is holy. And last week, uh, Brian talked about uh, being the light in the darkness. Uh, today, I want to talk to you uh, um, about something that is, is so powerful in First Peter 4. Uh, but before I do, uh, has anyone ever felt like they stood out in a situation? Like, have you ever experienced a moment in your life where you stood out, whether it was the way you spoke the way you dressed, the way you acted. Anybody ever felt that? Raise your hand. Like, if you ever felt this standing out, like, and some of you that aren't raising your hand, you're standing out right now. So technically, boom, roasted. Um, when I think about this uh, standing out, I think of one of my favorite TV shows, The Office. Anybody ever seen The Office? Yeah, all right. If you haven't seen The Office and you don't like The Office, or don't tell me. The Office is great. But there's an episode of The Office where the boss decides to take the entire office to one of their co-workers' religious uh, holiday, and all he knows is that they dress differently at this particular get together. All right, so he tells his girlfriend, "Hey, we're going to go to this organ. We're going to this party, and it's a costume party." And that's all he tells her. So uh, here's what they look like when they go to the party. Okay, so he's in the tux with. By the way, if anybody could do a paper mache of me, that would be great because I want that to be my Halloween costume for life. So, it, like, right now, take a picture of me and then do that. If you can do that, that will be such a blessing to my life. And uh, that will be my Halloween costume. But this is what they look like. They, you know, hey, that's pretty good for Halloween. Like, you would blend in. But here's what everyone else looks like. Okay, so everyone else is in these robes, these religious robes. And there she is in her cheerleading outfit. She stands out like a sore thumb. I don't know about you, but it... it Husbands and wives, husbands, you've probably taken your wife somewhere where she didn't know anybody, but you knew everybody, and she felt like this lady here, the cheerleader amongst these people that were in costume, but they were in religious robes. They, they were just, they stood out here. I want to kind of talk about that idea of standing out. As exiles, Peter talks about it at the very beginning of the, the book of First Peter, as exiles, uh, he references that a lot, and what is exiles? It's uh, exiles stand out. You're not from here. You're a foreigner. So the big point that I want to kind of get across today is this. This is going to be on the screen. When you are an exile to this earth, you will stand out. Key emphasis on will. You will stand out. Not, hey, if I'm exiled to this earth, I might stand out. You know, I, I might do what Christ wants me to do. I might. No, no, no. It's a will. You will stand out. Peter makes it very clear throughout the entire book of 1 Peter and really in chapter 4 is where we're going to land today about how we should stand out as an exile to this earth. That's such a great mindset. Every time I, th I think about how I should live in my life, I think about, you know, I'm just passing through. I'm just an exile here on this earth. I should be different. Now let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4 with me. Go there. Um, Keep in mind of the audience here. Brian talked about that early on. The audience is these people being persecuted by Nero. Uh, and Peter continually brings up this idea, hey, act like a Christian, act like a Christian. Why does he keep continually talking about this? It's because we need that reminder. You know yourself. You know people. 
we're knuckleheads. We need a reminder, hey, act like Christ, act like Christ, act like Christ in a different way. So here, let's go with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. So he answers his since therefore with you know, because Christ suffered. So Christ suffered in the flesh. What's that suffering? He went to the cross. He took those beatings. He did all that for us in the flesh. Arm yourselves. Arm yourselves. Kind of prepare yourself for whatever reason because of it's coming in May. Like, I thought about Captain America with his new shield. Like, take up, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. So because of Christ's sufferings, arm yourselves with that thinking that he did. That's Powerful in that in itself. Like Christ suffered. When he suffered, he didn't use that suffering for sin. We always give people excuses. Hey, if you're feeling bad or if you're feeling suffering, you can act like you won't. You got a free pass. No, Peter's challenging them. Hey, if you're in your suffering, act different. Don't use it to glorify self or to glorify sin. Use it to glorify God. Go back to uh, verse 1. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That word ceased means stopped. Ceased. Stopped from sin. As to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So right here, he starts his contrast. Right there, he says, you no longer live for human passions. So there, we're going to have a list. All right, so on your note taking, we're going to make a list here. On one side, you're going to put non-believers on the left. Believers on the right, and you're gonna we're gonna look at how Peter gives us two different lists here of how we should look as a believer versus a non-believer. So here he starts the contrast already in verse two. Uh, you no longer uh, are for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Gentiles, unbelievers, to do. Uh, excuse me. Past suffices for what. The Gentiles want to do living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. We're going to come back and talk about flood of debauchery. And they malign you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached to even those who are dead uh, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So go back to verse 3. He starts his list. Living in sensuality. So let's look at the list of how a non-believer looks. Living in sensuality. What does that mean? It's seeking pleasure. Seeking to glorify self in a manner that just you're out to please yourself, out to please your own body. It looks like sexual sin. It looks like the idea of I'm just out for lust, that idea. You know, we have the, the mind, the guys, it's probably like you see a girl, you lust. Is that a part of your life? Living in sensuality. <clears throat> passions. Another way to say the passions is evil desires. What are you desiring after? Are you desiring success, money, possessions, are you hoarding everything for yourself? Are you just out to get these evil desires? When, you at, when you're at your job, are you seeking to just attack people until you get higher and higher? Or are you seeking to serve people? So passions, evil desires, drunkenness, drinking parties, they kind of go together. Just filling your life with something other than Christ, clinging to that thing, drunkenness, just excess, living in excess. 
You know, gluttony is something that is mentioned, is not mentioned here, but it could go along the same thing. We just eat, 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 eat our feelings. Have you ever eaten your feelings? Hopefully we all have, well, not hopefully we all have, we have probably eaten our feelings. That idea there is the same thing. Drunkenness, drinking parties, orgies. Uh, that's another one he lists there. Lawless idolatry. I think a lot of sin can come down to idolatry. Putting something in your life, worshiping something in your life other than God. So when you come to church, yeah, you worship God. We've just had a great worship set. You worship God. You sing praises to God. But when you leave here, what does it look like? When you leave here, does every decision reflect back to your worshiping God? Do you go on Monday and Mondays, you just go through your work process and you don't think about God once. You go Tuesday, same thing. But, oh, here comes Sunday again. I started thinking about God. And then that's it. That's not what Peter wants us to do. That's not what God wants us to do. He's challenging them to not live like the non-believers did here. Let's go to verse, um, verse 4. With respect to these, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. So, Flood of Debauchery. I don't know about you, but I think that sounds like an amazing band, a band name, an amazing rock band. Like, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Flood of Debauchery. I mean, like, they're going to rock hard. You know it. Like, they're, they're really good. But in terms of, hey, describing your lifestyle, that's probably not a good lifestyle. You're like, hey, that guy lives in a Flood of Debauchery. That's not a good thing. That's not a good thing to be a part of. You know, if I'm, we've all made, if you're a Christian, you may have experienced that time in your life in the past where you were in that flood of debauchery. You were swimming in it. You know, some of us, we go back in a boat. You know, we were talking about this. You go back in a boat. You go back in your flood of debauchery days. Like, how dare we, if we've been saved, go into this flood of debauchery? That covers a lot of things, the flood of debauchery, uh, the water analogy there. Think about it this way. We're going to kind of go to the contrast here. <coughs> Excuse me, I have a pentacle. So the, the flood of debauchery, think about this flood of debauchery that you're in. Have you ever seen on TV the, the flood victims? Like the only way they can get to those flood victims is mostly through a helicopter. And I think about it this way. We were in the flood of debauchery. We were in our sin. We were in this just ugliness of our life that we couldn't get out of ourselves. So many of the flood victims in, in our situations in the world, they can't get out of it themselves. They need help. Same thing goes with our life in the flood of debauchery. We can't get out of it ourselves. What had to happen was Christ had to come and save us. He came and saved us and made us new. It's like when we become a Christian, we're in this flood of debauchery. Picture this with me. Christ comes in a helicopter, saves us. All right? And, and then we are his. And then when we are his, why would you jump back in the flood of debauchery? It's like being up in the helicopter and it's like, I, I got saved. Uh, I'm good. I'm going to jump back in. No, we wouldn't do that. That doesn't make any sense. The same thing goes with when, when Christ saves us, when he sets us free, when he redeems us, you don't jump back into that stuff. You, the non-believer list should not define us as Christians. That's not what we should look like. We shouldn't be using our time here. He even says it here. The, pa the time for that has passed. It's over with. That should not define who you are anymore as a Christian. Because that's who the audience is here, the Christians here being persecuted. Let's go now to verse 7, where he starts talking about how a Christian should live uh, as the contrast. <coughs> Sorry. The end of all things is at hand. So, 
If, if you needed a reason to live for Christ, pay attention. The end of all things is at hand. I think that's a good enough reason. Hey, if, if I'm living in this flood of debauchery, why should I get out of it? Why should I be rescued? You know, why should Christ save me? The end of things is at hand. Why should I start acting like a Christian? Is because the end of things is at hand. The time is coming when Christ is coming back. I don't want to be stuck in this flood of debauchery if Christ is coming back. So it, if you weren't tracking before, the end of all things is at hand. It's coming. Therefore, because of that, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Earnestly there means an intense, deliberate, determined love since love covers a multitude of sins. Catch this. Show hospitality to one another. He doesn't just stop there without grumbling. And the crowd went, oh, grumbled. <laughs> I'll come back to that. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as a good servant of God's very grace. Whoever speaks <clears throat> as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that everything, that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So here, there's the end. There's the two contrasts. If you want to kind of look at the contrast, it's from three to six of what those people live like that are the unbelievers. And then seven on is how we should live as Christians. So let's look at the list of how believers should live. Believers should be self-controlled. Can you say no to things? Do you have self-control over yourself? When you look, if you have that lustful thought as, a, as whoever you are, you have that lustful thought, can you say no? Can you turn and get out of the situation? Do you have self-control? Can you say no to overeating? Can you say no to overdrinking? Can you say no to the things that are bad? Sober-minded, clearly thinking about everything, being sober-minded, love. I love what he does here in verse 8. Above all, if you didn't, in your me time, if you didn't circle above all or all, that was, now's the time to do it. Above all. Like, above means, uh, this up here, above, go, go figure. All, everything else should be below this. Love. You should love people. As Christians, if we don't love people, then what's it all been about? There's a, in John, 1 John, it says, they will know you by your love. They will know us by our love. Do you love people or are you just hateful? You know, the gospel is offensive enough. You don't have to be offensive. Love people. Are you defined by that love? Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. And you think about this image of the people in this context. He was telling them to love because they were suffering. They were going under immense suffering and persecution because of Nero. Nero, like Brian said, he, he was a terrible tyrant trying to just single out these Christians for their suffering, and they were suffering because of it. And so he, Peter, is telling them, hey, you know what? Love them. What? Can you not just give them a pass, Peter? Like, hey, like, yeah, you can, like, spit on them. No. He tells them to love them. Like, can you imagine with me, like, for a moment, if in your life, when someone's saying something bad about you or you're going through suffering, instead of going, you know what, yeah, it's terrible, it's, it's awful. But using that moment to glorify God, how much of an impact that would have on the kingdom? Like, that's so, that's so key. Like, you know, love somebody instead of just returning it back. That goes back to that first verse. Since Christ suffered in the flesh, had that same mind. What did Christ do when he suffered? He didn't get even. He didn't start going. He could have. 
But he didn't get even. He didn't use his flesh and his suffering as a means for sin. Uh, the next thing, hospitable without complaining. Whoo! Complaining. I think a lot of us can be hospitable. We're welcoming. But without complaining, that's where we got a little, eh. Like, can I complain, please? Like, I just need to complain for a moment, please. No, no, he, he's challenging them. Be hospitable with one another without complaining. I think it, when I was studying this, I studied it. I, was just, I couldn't get up past the complaining part. Because you look out in the world, you look out in life, what does everybody do? They complain, right? Like literally everyone. But I, I, you know, I was convicted. God pointed this out in my life. Hey, grumbling right there, complaining. Not just being hospitable, but complaining. Stop complaining. So this week, I can't tell you how many times I wanted to complain, but God caught me. The Holy Spirit said, nope, don't complain. Because when we complain, we show we're not content in what God has given us in that moment. Like, how, how radical could it be in your life if that when you went to your job, instead of complaining like everybody else, you glorified God in that moment? If your boss did something you didn't like, instead of, you know, complaining about it, why not glorify God? Why not help other people that it, it hindered? You know, I, I think about as a teacher, I'm a teacher, I'm a math teacher. So I hear a lot of complaining from students like, oh, this is hard, this is hard. Yeah, it's math. Welcome to the real world. Like, math is hard. I get it. And I told them, I get it. But the teachers, oh my goodness, they complain. And I'm guilty of it too. We walk into, they tell you when you're a teacher in teaching school in college. That's what they call teaching school. <laughs> they tell you. Don't go in the workroom. That's, that's just the pit of vipers. When you walk up in there, you better be ready to hear names and, like, they're going to complain. Like, it's left and right crazy. Like, some of y'all's kids is, are crazy. Like, and you know it. All right? <laughs> but it's so easy to get sucked into that. Like, misery loves company. It's so easy to go up into that workroom and everybody's complaining. about, yeah, this kid drove me crazy. Noah drove me crazy. No, you didn't drive me crazy. I'm just kidding. I just single you out because you're my only student here right now. I teach no one. He's good. But there's so many times that it's so easy to complain. Everybody does it. What if you stop complaining? People will notice. If you stop complaining about stuff, people will notice. Don't believe me? Try. Try this week. Be intentional with this one thing. If there's one little thing you can take away and add to your life, stop complaining. It'll blow you away. It'll bring you closer to God because it makes you realize, hey, look, my complaints are minimal to what the glory of God is. Like, I want to glorify God with every moment. And if, it, if complaining separates somebody from getting more gospel, then I don't want to do it. So be hospitable, be welcoming, continue in that, but stop complaining. Stop complaining. Serve one another without selfish intentions. I think a lot of times in church we, we think of, oh, you know, I need to serve, I need to serve. But why are you serving? Do you really serve because it's what God wants you to do out of a loving heart? Like I, I, when I serve back there, when I, when I shake hands, when I'm a door greeter, I don't think about, okay, you know, I'm just checking a box. No, I'm doing it for God. Like even something as small as setting up, like there's so much impactful here. Like all of that goes in here into setting this up. You're serving because people are coming in. To glorify God, to, to give praises to God and to go out and to be an impact to the world. Serve one another without selfish intentions. Why are you serving? Are you serving because it's an outpour 
of what God's given you, or is it just selfish? He even talks about it there in verse 10. Be good stewards, be good users of God's grace. So because God has given you grace, go and do that. Serve people without complaining. Be hospitable, love people, be sober-minded, self-controlled. Be all those things of a believer list. <coughs> so when, oh, sorry, that's not right. <coughs> so which side do you see yourself on this list? Take an honest look. I mean, when I was looking at this, when I was like, you know, I can see at times in my life when I've maybe dabbled in both. All right, hopefully now if you're a believer that you're, you're in this believer list. Like, are you perfect? No. But you should be growing in this. A lot of people use the excuse, God's still working on me. Yes, but there should be proof. Like, God's still working on me about my complaining. Call me out on it. Like, if, if you hear me, this is a written permission, verbal permission, not written. Anyone in here hears me complaining, call me out on it. Even if it's something stupid on Facebook. Like, call me out on it because... I want to glorify God in everything that I do. And that's the, that's the chief aim. What, what list are you on? What defines your life more? Are you a non-believer? Does it look like you're a non-believer or a believer? Because there's going to be evidence of this. There's proof. He gives it very clear here. So as an exile, you're going to stand out. You're not wanting the things the world wants. You're not wanting those human passions. You're wanting what God wants. You're wanting the will of God. Is that evident in your life? Like, this is as practical as practical be. Like, look at your life honestly. Don't just do a church thing and just like, oh, yeah, I'm good. You know, no, look at it honestly. Are you glorifying God with your life? Because here's the chief end. Verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Catch this. Circle this, start, whatever you can do in your Bible. In order, in, excuse me, in order that, everything. You know what everything means? Everything. So when you leave here, when you drive to wherever you go eat lunch, how are you going to glorify God when you go to lunch? If a waitress or a waiter does something wrong, are you just going to knock off money on their tip? Because I have a right. Or are you going to, hey, look, I don't care what you do. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to glorify God in this way. Hey, look, how can we pray for you? Like, how radical would that be in your life if you, if you did literally everything in your life to glorify God? Because there's two results from this list. And the, the first list, the result is you don't glorify God at all. There's no glorifying God. Second list, as a believer, you glorify God in what you do if you do those things as a believer. So can you say, can you take an honest look at your life and go, okay, am I glorifying God in every way? When I go to work on Monday, tomorrow, on Mondays, ooh, Mondays, everybody's got a case of the Mondays. Like, what if instead of complaining about it being Monday, be like, it's another week to serve God. Like, it's weird. It's weird to think like this, but this is the challenge that Peter does. He challenges these people, hey, look, if you can't live for Christ in the regular mundane it's going to be really hard to glorify Christ in your suffering. So why not start glorifying Christ in everything that you do today? And then if today goes well, do it tomorrow. All right? And when you fail, there's grace. There's God's grace for that moment. Uh, I, I always view the lens of everything that I do in the day. Is, is this glorifying to God? And if you get that conviction, if you ask the Holy Spirit, hey, Holy Spirit, like, convict me 
of things that aren't glorifying to you. Convict me of ways that I can serve you better. Because our chief aim is to glorify God with our whole life, not just part. Uh, it's, it's so often times that I, I look out into the kind of the Christian church and see like people have their different selves. Like, oh, I got my sports self. I got my church self. I got my weekly self. And I got my friend self. That's, that's backwards. Why do I do anything that I do? Why do I glorify God? In order that everything done, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Because of, he saved us. Like, that's what changes our life. That's what makes us different. Is because Christ worked for us doesn't just leave us the same. If, you, if you've looked at Christ and he's changed your life and he's saved you, there's going to be a difference in your life. Like, it's not a, a will, like a should, eh, might. It's a will. So I want to challenge you. What, list, what side of the list are you on? If you're on the left side of the list, the unbeliever list, how do you get out of it? How do you get to the believer list? Well, Christ came and died for us sinners. Amen? He came and died for us. He, he came to bring us back to God. So how, how do we get off that list? We, we surrender our life to Christ. And stop running back to that old stuff. If you're in the believer list, don't be the person who has been saved from the flood and then looks at the guy in the helicopter, no, I'm good, I'm going to go back. Don't do that. That's so backwards. You should be in your life seeking to glorify God better and better each day that you walk. Like Maybe there's something you need to identify in your life. Hey, look, I, I know I'm not glorifying God with the way I work. Do it. And set, set your mind to do that one thing. So the one thing, just, hey, this thing that keeps reoccurring in my life, let's cut it out. Starting today. Not just, hey, I might get to it. No, start it today. The gospel is the answer really for both lists. That, that Christ came and died for us and suffered for us so that we can become sons and, and daughters and he redeemed us. Repent of your sins. Confess your sins to God. Put your faith in Jesus. Surrender your life to Christ. Um, the last thing I want to say, I, when I think about this, when I think about an example in my life uh, of a person that glorified God with their life, I think about my grandpa. Uh, he was a pastor uh, in a couple of different places. Uh, he was in Gibsonville, Burlington area, and he came and pastored a church in Rockwell. Uh, but... The one thing that always impacted me is when he got sick with Alzheimer's. It's a terrible disease. But in that suffering, it blew me away that all he could ever do was anybody walked in the room, he asked, to, Can I pray for you? And can I read you some Bible? Like, he couldn't remember the date, he couldn't remember some names. He could remember God. He could remember all that Christ did for him. That, like, I look at his life, look at, at what he did, it, like everything that he did. He went to a Burger King drive-thru and went and asked the drive-thru lady, waitress, what, I don't know, how you, the drive-thru operator, there it is. He would say, do you know Jesus? And as a kid, it was kind of like, this is awkward. 
This is weird. But now looking back on adults, like, oh my goodness, he has like some boldness. Why? Because of what Christ did for him. Like he was going to be a Methodist preacher and he wasn't saved. He went and got saved by John. It was a message of John 3. They said, you must be born again. And he, Christ changed his life there. And he dedicated his life to serving Christ. And it was so impactful that he would sit on Walmart benches and witness to people. Like while he's waiting on my grandma. My grandma, she, when, she, when people would come in and, and he would be like, I'll pray for you and read the Bible for you. She'd be like, no, no, no. I'm like, no, let him do it. Like, because that's all he could remember. So I, I look at his example, and, and I aspire as, like, looking at him as my grandfather and as a, a brother in Christ, that that's what I want to be at the end of my days. At the end of my days, I want to say, you know, if I don't remember who I am, I want to remember what Christ did for me. I want to be so saturated in Christ that it's everything that I do. It's my chief aim. It's wherever I go, whatever I do, it's all about Christ. That's what Peter wants us to do here. That's what he's challenges us as exiles. You have that mindset, I'm not from here. I'm from heaven. I'm going back to Christ. I, I'm redeemed. I'm different. We should stand out. I want to pray for us today that as we go from here, that we're, we're, we're not living unchanged. That we're living changed by the glory of God because of what he's done for us. If the very least of the things that we could live for Christ for, the reason is that he, what if he did for us on the cross? Like, if that's all he did, that's enough. That's more than enough. That's worthy of living your whole life for, selling out. Right? Do you not, I mean, if you, if you haven't seen that glory, I, I pray that you will. I pray that you'll go from here and, and not be just unchanged, that you're living wholeheartedly in everything that you do for God and not living in the flood of debauchery. Not living like that. Whereas you, the flood of debauchery, you're saturated in sin. When you're living for the glory of God, you're saturated in God. So when they squeeze you out, it just is Christ. So I want to pray for us. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for how much you love us. And all that you've done for us. I thank you that you've redeemed us. That when there was no hope, you gave us hope. We were in the flood of debauchery. Swimming in it, living in it. But God, you rescued us. And I thank you for that. Father, I pray that we won't leave today unchanged Father I pray that if there's anyone here that, that doesn't know you that it hasn't they're in the non-believer list that they will surrender their life to you Father I pray for all the believers in here I pray that we start acting like it that we start acting like exiles to this earth that we stand out That everything, every single thing that we do is to glorify you. The way that I go to work, the way that I drive, the way that I treat my family, the way that I talk to people. It's all to glorify you, God. Help us to be mindful of that. 
Help us to preach the gospel to ourselves daily because it's, it's so powerful. You are worth surrendering our whole life to. Why live for, the, for you, God? It, it's so much worth it. I pray that at the end of my days, they will look and say that, hey, he glorified God in everything that he did. I pray that for us all in here, that we will glorify God in our steps, in our talk, that will be salt and light to the world. Help us to glorify you in everything that we do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you.